Good morning, church family. My name is Matt, one of the pastors here. And uh, we're in week two of our four-week series, which we have titled Made to Worship. And uh, last week, we started by looking at this interaction between Jesus and a Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. And we answered the question, what is true worship? And we see Jesus breaking many social and spiritual norms to engage in this significant conversation with this outcast of society who was living in sin. And Jesus starts this conversation with her by graciously offering this woman living water for her soul and informing her that God is seeking after true worshipers who will look to God for satisfaction for their souls, those who will respond to God's offer of salvation, those who will turn away from all other idols, and those who will worship the one true God in spirit and in truth. And we saw how uh, true and genuine worship both involves our minds and our hearts, our intellect and our affection. And we're going to see those ideas reinforced today through our passage. But we will also learn how, as Christians, our worship must manifest itself through our actions as well. So the object of our worship as Christians is God himself, the glorious Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the one and only, the creator of life, the maker of our soul, the giver of our breath, the only one who can satisfy our souls. And again, last week we saw that God is the true gold to be trusted and treasured in a world that's filled with fool's gold and false promises. And if you didn't have a chance uh, to hear last week's message, I would encourage you to go back. You can listen. We have a podcast link on our website. We have a Facebook live stream. You can go back and just uh, get your head in the space of this series because each, uh, each uh, sermon over the next couple weeks, they're, they're connected and they're, they're really trying to try encapsulate uh, what is worship on, uh, on a, a grand level. And so again, the the main idea or the main definition that I posed to you guys yesterday that I'm going to try to prove week after week uh, is at the top of your notes there. And it's simply this, is that true worship is glorifying God through trusting and treasuring Him above all else. That's what true worship is. And again, that's my best crack definition at defining true worship. And this wasn't like Matt Brown original. This was a, a conglomerate of God's Word and looking to what others have said about this and saying, yeah, here's my best attempt to put everything that I've learned together in one statement. And so this week we're going to be walking through Romans chapter 12 in its entirety, which you're going to freak out because about halfway through we're only going to be through one verse. So just relax, it'll be okay. But Romans chapter 12, you can make your way there and we're going we're gonna to march through the whole chapter today again to expand our view and our understanding of worship. And I've titled this sermon today, Off the Throne, Onto the Altar. And the reason I titled it that is because all of us are born with the disposition to sit on the throne of our own lives, to call the shots. And yet the call to worship is a call to enthrone God on our lives, on our hearts. And in order to do that, guess what? You and I have to get off the throne. 
So that's what we're going to look at today. So again, there is only one who is worthy of sitting upon the throne. He is the rightful king of all. His name is Jesus. And we're going to answer these questions today in your notes that will show us, I believe, why he is worthy of our worship and how we are to go about worshiping him. And if you hear that bass, that's the kids worshiping over next door. So, four questions. Why do we worship? How do we worship individually? How do we worship as members of the church? And how do I know, how do we know if our worship is genuine? So let me pray one more time before we dive into God's Word. Father, would you graciously reveal the depths of the truth of your Word to our minds and our hearts, not so that we would just know things, but so that our lives would be transformed so that we would have an influence in the world around us for King Jesus and his kingdom. So God, would you help us? Would you instruct us? And would your spirit aliven your word that we would leave this place different because we know we have heard from you. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. All right, how many of you like why questions? How many of you are prone to ask why questions? How many of you are prone just to say like, well, that's just how it's always been done, so that's what we do? Anyone in that category? There's a few of you, right? I love why questions. And I believe if you don't have the answer to the why questions, the what you do really doesn't matter. Sorry for the two of you that raise your hand. But saying things like just because or it's just what we do, that's not good enough. For people that need to know why, that is not a good answer to the question. It's a horrible parenting tactic. Well, I'm just your dad, so do what I say. It's like, you know, your kids ask you why. You should have a why to what you ask your kids to do. And I still don't always, but, you know, it's an attempt. But it's, it's, a, it's a futile attempt. And here's the thing. As we look through God's word, he answers the why questions for us. He tells us why he is worthy of worship. He tells us what we should be living for, but bigger behind that, the why we should be living for what we do. Romans 12.1, Paul instructing the church in Rome, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. All right, so Paul is about three quarters of the way through this letter to the church in Rome. In the first 11 chapters, he has just spent going into the depths of the gospel and the implications of the gospel and the deep truth and doctrine of the gospel. And this week, I surveyed the first 11 chapters of Romans because in this first verse, he says, I appeal to you, therefore... In light of all I've just said, now here's my point. Let me give you a brief survey of what Paul has already proclaimed and taught for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who have believed the gospel. You are no longer under God's wrath. You are justified by grace. You are righteous through faith, meaning you are blameless before God. You are sanctified. You are set apart. You are under grace. You're a slave to righteousness. You have new life. You are chosen. You are loved. You are saved by Jesus. You are raised to life with Jesus. You are free from condemnation. You are alive in the Holy Spirit. You have a glorious future that awaits you with God. 
You have hope in the midst of your suffering. You have help in the midst of your weakness. You have peace with God. You reign in life with Christ. You're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You're set free from sin. You're dead to sin, alive in God through Christ. You have eternal life. You're heirs with Christ. You're adopted into God's family. You have riches of God bestowed upon you that you can't comprehend. You are redeemed. You have a changed heart. And you're reconciled to God through Jesus' death in your place for your sin. Are you kidding me? Therefore, <laughs> that's what he's th- that's what the therefore is therefore. The mercies of God inexhaustible. I'm exhausted reading through it. But the truths that reflect the character and the nature of God, the height and depth and width of his love that we can't even comprehend. That this God who is holy and perfect, who made us, has chosen to reveal himself to us and show his love to us. Do you realize the magnitude of who this God is and what is yours in Christ? Because if you do, your life is going to look different. If you do, you understand why he is worthy of your worship. We worship him because he is gracious, he is holy, he is glorious, he is the only God, the giver of life, the lover of our soul, and the one who made the way for us to be reunited in relationship with himself possible through Christ. All the while, you and I deserve the exact opposite. We deserve eternal separation from God. We don't belong in the presence of God, and yet, because of his mercies, He welcomes us in. The glorious creator inviting his wayward creation back into his family by his great mercies. That is why we worship him. Next question. How do we worship individually? Paul says, in light of the mercies of God, which is why we worship him, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. So present your body or offer your bodies to him. This is a willful offering of ourselves unto God for his purposes. This body of ours, both the physical components and the spiritual storehouse of our souls, God's saying, yeah, give that to me. That which I gave you, give back to to me, offer it back to me, all of yourself. And how do we do that? Well, I don't think we comprehend it at a, a first glance, but it says we do that as living sacrifices. This is completely paradoxical. This, these things should not go together, but they do. So, everyone back in this day and in this time, when they heard the word sacrifice, their mind would immediately go to animal sacrifice. That was a common practice, a common element of worship back in the day amongst many and most religions. And so here they're getting this picture in their head of saying, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Get on the altar to be sacrificed unto God, but you're alive. It's, it's paradoxical. How in the world does this work? Paul is saying something we can't just breeze over, but we need to pause and ponder. Because if I think of sacrifice, I'm like, oh, I had to sacrifice an hour of sleep to get up for something. 
It's not the sacrifice that we're talking about here. This is giving over of your life to present yourselves. And this isn't begrudgingly. This is a willing action on our part to say, I'm going to be a living sacrifice. Because of who God is, I'm going to choose to give my life to him. It means that we are only alive in the fullest sense when we are dead to ourselves. It means the only place of life you will find is through your own death. It's the only way you can be alive in God. And every day you and I wake up with our bodies and minds urging us to do many things that are contrary to the will and ways of God. And what this calling is for us to live in such a way that we don't indulge in the sinful desires of the flesh that once separated us from God, but instead we now live holy lives that are acceptable to Him. We live in a way that is pleasing to Him because of what He has done for us. Paul puts it this way in Galatians 2.20. As he personalizes this, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is what living by faith is. It's a surrender to the truth of the Word of God, a joyful, willing surrender. Because we trust that Jesus' promise is that this is the path of an abundant life. My friends, God is not a cosmic killjoy like I once thought he was. He's not saying, I want to take away all the fun, exciting things in life so that you have to suffer and you have to be holy. Holiness is the greatest gift that God has given us to be in the presence of this magnificent God, the giver of life. It is not a boring, joyless life. It is the only source of true and lasting joy. We are offered life from the one who gave us life and breath, and yet that life will come through death to ourselves on an ongoing basis. This is saying to ourselves, I am going to willfully place myself on the altar. I am going to get off the throne of my own life where I am captain and king and I'm going to offer myself completely to God for whatever purposes he may have for me. I'm no longer calling the shots. Jesus is king and I will joyfully surrender unto him. That means I don't have rights. I can't hold too tightly to my own plans. I submit to God's will. I give my desires, my agenda, my goals, my entire being over to God and say, these are yours. They're not mine. And this is the secret to the happy Christian life. Because it's only when you and I have this perspective that we're truly free to live from the demands that we place upon others, the demands that we have that life go our way. It's submitting to the reality that God is God, that His ways are best, and His plan for you and your life is better than yours. Do you believe that? Do I believe that? Some days. Some days that's pretty hard to believe. But that's the call. 
That's what it is to be a living sacrifice. Think about this for a moment. Jesus is the rightful king of heaven. Jesus willfully left his throne to be offered on the altar of the cross. He's the rightful king. It's his throne and his alone. And he left it out of love for us to be offered for us. And now he's saying, yeah, that little mock throne you think you like to sit on, get off of that. There's only one real throne, and I'm on it. Does that blow your mind? (laughs) That just baffled me this week as I was thinking about this. Like, oh, he's the rightful king. It's his throne, and we try to crawl up on it? How ridiculous is that? I love how this verse ends because it really encapsulates this for us. It says, offer our bodies as living sacrifices. It says, which is your spiritual worship? I don't know what translation you have. That's the ESV translation. But I did a survey of other translations and some word study on this. And in the NASB, they translate it, which is your spiritual service of worship. The New Living Translation says that this truly is the way to worship him. And the New King James Version says, which is your reasonable service. It doesn't even use the word worship in the last one. So basically what what the the really essence of the, the pure translation is getting at here, it is only reasonable to offer your life to God as a living sacrifice. It is logical. It is rational for you to live for your maker. It only makes sense if you understand who God is and the mercies to which he offers to you. I love that. How awesome is that? Living abandoned lives to Christ is the only thing that makes sense. If he really is who he says he is and he's really done what he says he has done. And at this point, it's important to acknowledge that as living sacrifices, you and I tend to like to crawl off of the altar. (laughs) Anyone struggle with that? (laughs) One day, you're like, yep, God, my life's yours. Next day, nope, it's mine again. Wait, it's yours. Nope, it's mine. This is the daily battle that each of us faces because we wake up in the morning saying, all right, what am I going to do today? This is why Paul continues with his instruction, giving us some more insight into how. Verse 2. I told you we were going to make fast progress through this. Verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So in order for us to be living sacrifices, which is an ongoing daily reality, we must renew our minds and hearts in that which is true if we are going to discern and then live out the will of God. It is a battle to not allow the world to pollute our thinking and to capture our affections, is it not? Every day we are tempted to drift away into other things. And here's the reality for you and I, that we as human beings, we can't just stay in neutral in our spiritual lives. 
The current of this world is going to sweep us away. That is the natural inertia of what the world around us will do. It will pull us away. Therefore, renewing our minds is rowing against the current of the culture and seeking after God. Not because that's how we earn our salvation, but because that's where we know truth is. Even if it's hard to live a life that way, it's what we're pursuing. And if you stop rowing, the current's going to sweep you away and you will become spiritually numb to the things of God. And if you've walked with Jesus for any length of time, you've experienced that. You know times and seasons where your soul is just adrift being carried away. And you can tell by how sensitive am I to the things of God when I hear God's word, when I, when I understand the gospel. What happens in my heart? It's like, oh yeah, I've heard that before. Oh yeah, I've been in church my whole life. I've heard this passage preached before. Be careful. Be careful. We must renew our minds daily if we are going to be transformed in order to live the lives which God has called us to live. Lastly, in answering the question, how do we worship individually? Verse 3 says, for the grace given to me, I say to you, everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. How do we worship individually? We worship with a humble view of ourselves, with sober judgment, with honestly looking at the mirror, Not across the street, (laughs) or not to the cubicle next to you. Look in the mirror at your own life, which will bring sobriety to the view of yourself. We've said often that we are people in process, making progress by the grace of God. And if we are biblical in our thinking, we know that not a person in this room is worthy of entering into the presence of God. We have no business approaching God because of our sinfulness in our fallenness. And if it wasn't for His grace, we couldn't. Does that keep you humble? (laughs) If God hadn't revealed Himself to you, there was no other way that you could know Him love Him, and worship Him. That's extremely humbling and something that should keep us sober-minded because we've been given something we could never earn and we surely do not deserve. And as we go day by day and renew our minds in Scripture, Scripture keeps us humble. Scripture shows us, hey, you haven't arrived yet. (laughs) Hey, you still got some big blemishes on your face. I still need to do some big work in your heart because you keep loving stuff you know that has no value. You just keep saying, man, I am messed up. But how gracious is God? should keep us humble. So how do we worship individually as living sacrifices who renew our minds daily and who stay humble in light of the Word of God? All right, these last two questions we're going to go through pretty quick. Require some honest self-evaluation and reflection, and that is my challenge for you today, is that you would go back later today or later this week, 
and you would read through Romans 12 as a mirror on your life. That you look Romans 12 in the face and say, what does this reveal about me and what I truly worship and how my worship manifests in my life? So, third question. How do we worship as members of the church? Verse 4 For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion with our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is not an exhaustive list of the spiritual gifts that we see in Scripture, but it's a, a summary of, of he's giving examples. You guys have a variety of gifts, and his call in short is use them. This isn't rocket science. I don't need to explain that to you. You've been given gifts. If you're a part of the body of Christ, use them. Anyone confused? Here's where the confusion comes. These two questions for you to write down and maybe reflect upon. What are my gifts? That's an important question. If it's a simple call, use your gifts. Well, you got to know what your gifts are. And secondly, how do I know, how, how am I using those gifts in serving and strengthening the local church that God has called me to be a part of? This is why we have membership as a church. This is why we go through a multiple-week process of of on-ramping people to be members of this church. And part of that is taking a spiritual gift assessment where we help one another understand the way God has wired us so that we can try to plug people in to serve in their areas of giftedness. And there are many times where a need or something will surface in our body and we as pastors will go back and look through and say, hey, who's gifted in these things? Who might be able to step in and play a role in this ministry opportunity? Because guess what? It's not the paid professionals that are responsible for all the ministry. It's the body of Christ who's responsible to do the work of ministry as Ephesians 4 instructs us. So we look from hospital visits to donating cars, which happened this past week, to leading small groups or serving in the children's ministry, to making this place hospitable and welcoming. There are a ton of people in this church that are using their gifts to strengthen this family, and it's a beautiful thing. And if you're here and you're like, well, I don't know my gifts, or I can't say that I'm using my gifts here, Paul's pretty clear, like, okay, Start using your gifts. And that's what we want to encourage all of you, everyone here. We want every person who's a member of this church to be faithfully using what God has given them for the overall health of this church. Last question. How do we know if our worship is genuine? This is a big deal. This is a big deal. Paul's going to get very practical now for us in applying what the life of a living sacrifice should look like. That that term that that is, is hard to wrap our minds around. It's like, well, let me show you what that's going to look like in a very practical sense and at a heart level. Verse 9. Let love be genuine. 
Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them or gossip about them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty or arrogant, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will replace, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's a mirror to look in for a while. If you... My Bible says the marks of a true Christian as the header to this section. I'm not sure what yours says. But how do I know if my worship is genuine? Do you genuinely love God? And if you'd sit here and you'd say, yes, I love God, it will be evidenced through the way you love other people. As 1 John says, no one can say I love God and yet hate his brother. It's impossible. If you understand the grace of God, if you understand the love of God, and you can turn around and hate your brother, you don't get it. And yes, we fall short. Yes, we wrestle with sin. I get it. But this is an ongoing disposition to say, God loved me when I was unlovable. Therefore, I can love anyone no matter how unlovable they might be. We can come in here and we can fool one another. We can put on a face for a while. But you and God know what your heart truly loves. What you truly long for in this life. What you really think about yourself and about others. And I just want to pause for a minute, church family, because as I looked through this list, I was thinking of story after story after story of ways I see this truth manifested in our midst. As, as daunting as this can feel, as convicting as this might be, I see these things alive and well in our church. I see all of these things on display. I see love. I see honor. I see holding fast to what is good. I see people serving, rejoicing in hope, being patient in affliction, being hospitable, being humble in associating with the lowly. I see people seeking peace with one another and reconciliation. I see people overcoming evil with Good. There is a genuine love of God amongst us, which is evident of a genuine love for this God who we claim to serve. And he delights in that. He delights in our love for one another. And we would do well to continue, as Scripture says, to excel still more, to continue to renew our minds in the reality That we serve an awesome and holy God. A God who alone is worthy of our worship and deserving of our devotion. And that we would come again and again and remember the gospel of grace 
through which we have new life, through which we've been set apart to serve our King. This is the greatest honor you and I could have, to be called children of God. And Scripture says that is what we are if we are in Christ. Will you pray with me?